You're listening to the Coach T Podcast, hosted by my dad. Welcome to another edition of the Coach T Podcast. My name is Isaiah Thomas. As always, I appreciate the love and support of all the fans out there. Uh, it's been really fun. We're into season four, and per usual, I'm bringing you some of the best coaches, wrestling minds out there, and I have a treat for you. One of my good friends, the head coach of the Gaylord Blue Devils, Mr. Jerry LaJoy. Jerry, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Isaiah, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying this beautiful. We've had a very mild summer, in my opinion. It gets hot, but not too hot. Not a lot of humidity, and then it cools down at night, so I love it. Yep, me too. I don't sweat too much. No. My AC <laughs> bill is very low right now. <laughs> so Jerry and I go way back, probably about 20 years or so. I was an official with freestyle and everything else, and I used to rep his, uh, his uh, Dom and Chase. And one time, I, I want to say either I was roughing or I was doing something. No, it was after I was done roughing freestyle. Had to be about three or four years. I bumped into him because I want to say Dom wasn't even in high school. He was probably still in middle school. And you said to me, and I, I'll never forget this, is like, why would you give up officiating? You were a damn good official. And, and I explained to him, like, you know, at the time when I gave it up, there wasn't a lot of money involved and I needed money, the time to play into a job that would help me pay the bills, basically. And uh, that was a very nice compliment. Then fast forward to where we had the – I've coached at basically Western, and from 2013 and 2015, we met with the Blue Devils three times. 2013, beat them in the regional semifinal, tied them. It was really interesting because you were the only one out of everybody in that building that knew that we won it, even though your guy got a pin to tie the matchup. And then 2014, you came to our place and, and – we won a very highly competitive duel all the way into the regional finals. You know, it's like this beautiful trilogy of things where you guys <laughs> came out on top and ended up going to uh team state center. So a uh, lot of things to unpack there, but appreciate having you on Jerry. I'm glad to be here. You were a hell of an official, by the way. Thank you. For people hey, who, people who understand freestyle and Greco, your demeanor is what makes you good and your ability to make the calls. And you had both, which was, that's a, that's a, that's a rarity in officiating these days. Yeah, you got to kind of understand this. Where I even now find myself watching freestyle and Greco matches and still scoring them. I wouldn't put it past me to go back in it someday. I kind of I miss the officiating from time to time. I just miss being in there with the best athletes and letting them decide the match, which. You know, from an officiating standpoint, I think too many times, and I think I've talked to those officials, your job is to keep the kids safe and score the points. And if you do those two things well, you're going to do a great job. And if you can actually explain why you made a certain call or what you saw, it's hard for a coach to argue that. 100% agree. But with freestyle now, the passivity rule changes everything. Now it's who you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the part I don't like. So if you're a well-known name, you're going to get the first passivity point and you're going to get choice on top. But yeah, and, and passivity is so much back. Right. And it's so much different than stalling. You know, I, I feel like passivity should be called like stalling. Like if a person's not attacking, it, that that's the, they're not wrestling. It, it seems like it's easier for them to call blocking and passivity. But if I'm shooting a bunch of times, and I get called for passivity because maybe my butt's not in the center or something like that. I just think it's just, it's odd. It's, I passivity. Know. it's a very odd rule. So, um, But Jerry, tell us how you got involved in this great sport of wrestling. Um, 
Well, my brother started out back in the day for Sue High. And I remember I had this, I had Ralph Saranowski was the, our coach and he was starting a middle school program. And I got to be the manager on the high school team. And then some of the high school kids would come down and, and uh, help instruct us. And we would go to local middle school tournaments and stuff. Nothing like the opportunities kids have today. And uh, next thing you know, I'm out for the sport. And, you know, it was uh, that dude saved my life. It was um, my mom and dad were, you know, they were going through a rough patch. And I remember he came over to my house in eighth grade and uh, I was being kind of a butthead. And he's like, pack your stuff. You're coming to my house. And he took me to his house and said dinner's at six. And I showed up at 615 and food's already put away. So he taught me a lot of things and got me in and probably uh, put me on my career path. He was a teacher and a coach and probably did exactly for what I hope I can do for a lot of other kids. Gosh, it's, it's, you know, I think uh, I was talking to Coach Smith, formerly Frankfurt, now um, uh, as our like USA wrestling or I'm sorry, the MWA uh, representative for the girls wrestling. She had said sometimes wrestling's that sport that you need wrestling more than wrestling needs you. hundred percent. You look at how many kids that say wrestling has saved. It's amazing. Yeah. And not saying anything bad about the other sports, but there's just something about wrestling that teaches us how to be a little more resilient and um, find ways to overcome the obstacles in our life. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it uh, saved many of young men and now a lot of young women probably helped them come to him through as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how did you so you said he inspired you to go into uh, to be a teacher, be a coach. How did you end up in Gaylord when you're originally from the UP? Um, the UP is a hockey town. So like Sault Ste. Marie was a hockey town and, you know, we, we could do well in wrestling and nobody would even know as long as the hockey team beat Alpina 5-4, it would be, oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And um, I knew I could never create a wrestling program in the Sioux. So I uh, started looking and he told me the same thing. So I took a job just coaching down in Gaylord, living in a shack. I was, I remember I would sub $50 a day and I lived in this dirt floor shack. And <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And it was on my coaching pay. And my dad's always been one to make you earn your own keep. And so for a Christmas gift, he bought me a chainsaw. And I'm like, what's this for? He goes, you need heat, don't you? And so I went down to Gaylord and I started cutting the neighbor's trees down and use that for heat. In the morning, I'd wake up at about four and put, log, you know, put logs in the wood stove again and go to work and start coaching again. I'm just a bit. It's just I'm just imagining this you with this chainsaw going around cutting all these dead trees, basically, and, then, <laughs> and profiting basically just to keep the heat. Right? Yep, that's it. I, I'm not kidding you, man. And the lunch ladies knew like how rough I had it, and so they would give me free lunch, and then they'd send me a little to-go bag at night. Yes, and so yes, I would ha have to use the water. I'd come in the morning and shower, so it was it was a win-win. Mm-hmm. And then, so you end up at Gaylord. Uh, when did you start teaching and coaching there? Well, I, I went down and coached in Gaylord and I had a interview and I also, and I interviewed for a teaching job and then I didn't get the job there, but I got a job offer in Sand Creek and in Rudyard. 
Mm-hmm. And so I took the job up in Rudyard because obviously close to home. Right. And then I was ended up coaching, being an assistant at Sioux High with the under the guy who was my mentor. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, I get a call from the old athletic director and halfway through the year, he's like, we want you to come back. I got a job for you. And here we go. And so I left Rudyard and went back down to Gaylord and the rest is history. Yeah. And when you were, when you started at Gaylord, you, Ray Arthur, you know, Hall of Fame coach Petoskey, um, they were kind of the, the, the it program at the time, especially in the nineties, I want to say. Um, and Traverse city central had a pretty decent run here or there. What did it take to turn the tide to make the blue devils, the premier uh, program, not only in your conference, but in the area, in the region? Well, I remember wrestling Petoskey as a kid and we got beat. There was, it was 72 to six and I was the only one that won. And I just hated Petoskey. Ray Arthur, I, I, as a kid, as a young coach was my nemesis and I, I couldn't <laughs> stand him. Like, and I, I couldn't, it's not that I couldn't stand him. I respected the heck out of him mm-hmm. and I just couldn't figure out how to beat him. And Finally, we started getting a, you know, my first year we had no middle school program. So we started middle school club and then we started youth club. And I remember coaching, I was coaching all three at the one time. And then I was doing the youth and a guy came up to me and asked me if uh, he goes, how come you don't charge for any of these people? And I said, wrestling's, you know, not everybody has money. He goes, listen, if you charge, you'll get more kids out. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I opened it up to $25 and then we had a hundred kids out. And it was, it was just weird. Mm-hmm. If it was free, nobody wanted it. If it was $25, a bunch of kids came out. It <laughs> <laughs> makes zero sense, but I, I get what you're saying. Like some, like you, we run a, our youth and middle school program, uh, especially the youth. I'm like, do you really need to charge? But for whatever reason, if you charge a little bit, I mean, you're not, let's face it. When you're coaching youth, middle school, high school, you're not making a lot of money. You're pretty much just doing it so you can cover their entry fees or to cover yeah. them uh, getting their card for their respective league. So, like, you know, unless you're like a, a high-end club, that things like that, where you do get some profit off it. But for the most part, the bare bones youth, middle school, high school programs, that money is basically just so, so your kid can compete, not to put any money in the coach's pocket. Correct. And so we start building the program and then, I would go down every year and I was a big notebook guy. So when I, my first year we went seven and seven and to be, I, we lost to Michigan Lutheran seminary and you probably never even heard of them. Oh, they're in my area. Are um, they? Yeah. Yeah. Michigan Lutheran seminary. And in fact, it's probably the old coach guy that just, his name will come to me. He just and, retired a couple of years ago. Well, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I've never even heard of Michigan Lutheran Seminary. And I'm like, we're not that good. Hmm. And I kicked off probably, I think I had 26 kids on the first year. I kicked off 13 for conduct unbecoming. Mm-hmm. And after I kicked those 13 off, a bunch more came came out. And so wrestling became not known as the, you know, the rough kid sport, but, you know, the kid that the sport that kids wanted to be around. And then I would go down to the state tournament and I would mark every takedown in division one and division two. 
that was scored from the semifinals on. And then I would take that and model it to our program. And then I would take Jeff Jordan's inside, you know, in, you know, sweep series, the Jordan sweep. And then we adapted on our program and decided to focus only on neutral for about 70% of the practice. And that's where we started finding a lot of success. Wow. Well, it's interesting. And the coach's name is Marcus Bodie, who had coached for 30 plus years. That would be him. Yeah. Uh, we, we were just, I, I had him on the podcast. So I, sorry, Marcus, if I forgot your name, you know, it's summertime. We're all kind of out at this point. But Marcus, I didn't forget you. You made me like question my whole belief in everything. <laughs> so I thank you for help making me the guy I am. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's interesting you say about taking notes about the, the takedowns for semifinals and finals, um, because I think it's like every year, USA Wrestling or somebody does like a poll of the NCAA championships and where are the top five takedowns. So it's always pretty basic, like snap down, single leg, double leg, high crotch. I think reattack is usually to, like those are the top five right there. Very right. few um, throws because it's just it's hard to get guys out of they don't get out of position very often for you to throw them at that higher level. Um, so it's interesting you can go there and you become like a student of the game. How did you model that? To, so you're taking these notes and you start uh, tailoring your practice to be more neutral centric. How does that uh, trickle down to your assistant coaches? Well, Matt Nowak, who's been with me for a long, long time, 20 some years, you know, and people looked at me and they're like, you're crazy. We got to focus on bottom top. And I'm like, listen, if you can take a person down and you can get away, they can't beat you. And they're like looking at me and like, oh my goodness, you're, you know, this is 20 years ago, 25 years ago, before a lot of people were doing takedown cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, a lot of people didn't buy into the system, but the kids did. And so we couldn't beat Petoskey on the, on the mat. They were much better than us. And so the only way we could beat them was on our feet. And that's, and we just created a culture where we could wrestle with anybody in the state on our feet. Mm-hmm. And they believed in it. And so that's that's half the battle. And throughout your like tenure there, I mean, you've you've had some pretty amazing assistant coaches. How valuable are great assistant coaches, middle school youth, middle school and youth coaches to your program? And they're unbelievable. Like we have James Davis runs our youth program. He is the happiest guy ever in the wrestling room. Like I even if a kid screws up, he's smiling and laughing. So he takes our youth program our novice group and just runs them. And he, he does a really good job. And we've had Cole Gulick, uh, Dan Hines, Jeremy, Mc, Jamie McLuhan, um, who all were key and Marty foot who were key in our, our youth program. I remember Marty foot was, he ran our my way group. So we have a, a novice group, which Davis runs. And then we have an advanced group with the my way mm-hmm. and Marty foot, who used to wrestle for Ferris and Shepard, um, he would run our group when my kids were coming through and he's doing P90X with these guys for the first 30 minutes. And I'm like, all these guys are just scrappers. My son, I'm looking at him like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then he starts wrestling and he just changed the culture of our advanced group. And that, that started changing coming into our high school group. Wow. You know, <laughs> I, I coach Nowak is just awesome. He's uh He's our statistician, and we have Coach Stradling, who's going to be the eventual head coach at Gaylord. 
Oh, come on, Jerry. You've said that for the last 10 years. So yeah, he's, he's the next guy. <laughs> um, yes. It's it, it, it's it. Cause you know, when you talk to a lot of these co- coaches, that it's one of those things where I joke all the time, like you got five, you got 10, you got 15 years. And they're like, Isaiah, no, no, man. I got it like this years, and then I'm I'm done. I'm moving on. It's it's the knees. The knees get you. Yeah. yeah. I haven't quite got got there yet per se, but I do. I feel a little more tired. I'm, I'm almost forty. I'm not forty yet, but I'm gonna get there. <laughs> so I've had I've had five knee surgeries. The last one, Chase was in the room. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing up there. He's got a high single and I'm instructing us how to finish it. And I turn around, look at the team and Chase finishes it on his own. And I'm still standing and my knees pointing down. And he just looks at me, and goes, that's not good, is it? I said, no, that's gone. There's number five. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's all right. It was going anyway. <laughs> it needed to fully go. <laughs> yep. Um, you've had the unique opportunity to coach both your sons in wrestling and obviously highly successful, both multi-time state champions in wrestling for college. What was your approach as the parent to support them and as the coach to just be the coach and not be the dad? Uh, that is the trick that I could write a book about. I'm not kidding you. It's one of the hardest things to do is to balance dad and and coach at the same time with this sport. Um, when they were little, I would take them to after they would practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'd pick Dom on Tuesdays because he was the oldest and Chase on Thursdays. They never figured it out, but the winner got to pick their slushy color from 7-Eleven. <laughs> Whoever worked the hardest. So rather than focusing on success, it was who worked harder. Mm-hmm. And, so they both realized at a young age that, you know, hard work is important. Um, and they got a slushy every time they wrestled. So I associated it with something positive. Mm-hmm. Um, when they were little, still when they were little, you know, I remember Devin Schroeder and Dom must have been about seven years old wrestling a freestyle match. They're both crying on the mat. Dom stops the match and he's like, I said, what's the matter? And he's like, the score's wrong. And I'm like, it's 7-4. And he goes, it's supposed to be me. I said, it is you, you bonehead. And he goes, oh, and he starts smiling and wrestling well. Um, but when they video games came into a big thing, and that was a big part of, you know, kids' lives. And I remember I'm like, I can either fight this or I can figure out a way to beat it. And so I would, when they were little, I, every, they could play video games, but every time they died, they had 10 push-ups. i mean they're playing call of duty they're racking out 250 push-ups each day and i'm like all right here we go and you know that kind of helped change their attitude but the hardest thing was not to be that dad which you've heard from coaching and what you've heard from refing in the stands that yells and stuff um you can't and then like i told you with the notebook i used to take you know, the takedowns at the state tournament. Well, I, I used to watch dads and if dads that coach their kids and I'd make a list to do's and list to don'ts. And I'd go through that list every time focusing on how to be, you know, a, a better coach dad. And after we'd get home, we'd never talk wrestling unless they brought it up. Gosh, that, that is, <laughs> you're giving me some tools. Cause I, 
you know, my, my youngest wrestles and it, it's, it's very difficult to shut the wrestling. I'm very passionate about it. It's very difficult for me to shut it down um, and, and change the subject to something else. Yeah. You spend too much time focusing on wrestling instead of focusing on being a dad. Mm-hmm. And, at, and at the end of the day, wrestling is going to take you so far. Hopefully it'll get your career done and little schooling, but you're always going to be dad. No matter what. Yeah, I want to be the guy at at 55 when my kids say, hey, Dad, we have four tickets for the NCAAs. Let's go. That's how I want to be. Mm -hmm. My kids want to take me there instead of going, God, I hated wrestling from my father. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's quite interesting. We talk about parents and they're, and I've seen it all. I mean, it it just, I think from a parent standpoint, and and I haven't gotten to the point where I, my kids are still relatively young, so I've coached them in most of their stuff. I'm waiting for when they have another coach. And I always say to myself, don't be that parent. Like, unless they're physically abusing your child or are saying things kind of out of context to your child, let the, let your, let the coach coach your kid. Like just support your kid, be there, take them to practice, take them to the games, you know, be there for them. Uh, I think too many times, especially in today's climate, Social media has not helped at all, but you see it, uh, something happening with the coach, blah, blah, blah. And then these parents form like a group, a parent group. And it's just pretty much, let me just talk how bad this coach is, blah, blah, blah. And you don't think about all the things that coach is doing, the time they take away from their families. 100%. Um, I, I tell people all the time, like I, in, when I coach, I say, I spend more time with you than I do with my own family. So we, we have to be, this is this is our family for this, how many weeks we're together and things like that. And I think sometimes parents feel like you need to be, as a coach, you need to be 100% like focused on their kid and making their kid better when you have 35 other kids to, to help. Yep, I agree with you. It's, it's one of the, you know, but again, once you establish your culture, I remember having parents come at me and stuff, you know, early on because we're seven and seven and. You know, next thing we're 15, 14, and all of a sudden when you start winning, you know, the parents thing goes away, but you got to realize you haven't done anything different when you were losing. They're just mm-hmm. happier. They just want to see the wins, you know, and it's like, oh, my goodness, people, there's more to wrestling than winning. You know, yeah. you know, in our room, we go by God, country, family, school and wrestling, and that's the, that's our creed. So we take things in that order. Yeah. And, and have have the the mottos and, and things that you live by, the creeds, so to speak, really focuses your kids on what's the most important to them. So, um, what do you think is uh, the biggest thing at, from a coaching standpoint? Young coaches do wrong when they first get a program, regardless of where the program's at, whether it's a program they're trying to build into a contender or a program that's been a contender and they're trying to push them over the hump. I think they don't have fun, to be honest with you. I go to tournaments and I play jokes on every coach I know. <laughs> I've been there. I've been. I've been. I've been part of your practice before. <laughs> it's so much fun, you know, and it, the kids love it, you know. And I mean, we even got kicked out of one tournament because of, you know the kids were doing the snake line, and I'm like, really? Come on now. It's like you you have to have fun with this sport. It's a grind. You know, and I have kids go up and play joke. Like we go down, I go to co- tournaments now, 
where the competition's good, but in in most part, I know the coaches and they're they're fun, and that's what I want wrestling to be associated with. Hate what I do, and so I look forward to Woods Tower, and so I can mess with Mayor and the Lapeer tournament, so I can get Wood, you know, and Marquette, so I can mess with a lot of guys up there, mm-hmm. you know. And these are the things that I think, like, it's a wrestling's a fraternity, and these guys, for the most part, you know, are all good for the sport. Even your, even like Ray Arthur was my huge rival. He's great for the sport. He was a great representative. And, you know, RJ Boudreaux is a great representative for wrestling, even though he's our nemesis, you know, and it's, you want to have fun while you're there and enjoy the, and enjoy the, the days because pretty soon you're not going to be able to do this for the rest of your life and it'll be gone. Yeah. I think uh, Muhammad Ali said, uh, don't count the days, make the days count. I like I that. that. Little, yeah, I got that as a quote on my desk at, at work, and the kids look at it. What's this mean, Mr. Thomas? I'm like, it says it right there. Like, <laughs> make every make every day count. Don't just count how many days leading up to something, and, and and trying to live in the the moment. And I think sometimes we get kind of caught up in trying to look back in the past or try to look forward in the future, not just be present in the moment. Um, <laughs> gosh, I know that. You've been a big uh, advocate for freestyle and Greco wrestling for off-season training and to uh, create, pretty much make your kids more well-rounded when it comes to their folk style wrestling. Why has that been your big kind of your big mission uh, over the last twenty-plus years? Well, we used to do the folk style, and to be honest with you, I just got bored of folk style. Um, we used to go to CMU team camp and I love my time at CMU team camp. Coach Borelli did a great job there, but we, we would just, it was, it seemed like we, you know, the kids were just doing folk style and not, they maintained over the summer instead of getting better. And when my kids were coming through, like I told you, Dom was wrestling Devin Schroeder at the age of four or five or six or something like that. And you don't know it, but you're already wrestling a, D, a future D one athlete. And, that's where all the best kids went, but I know you spend a lot of time teaching other maneuvers that you would never use in, in folk style, but my kids had fun every day. Like it was like, if I made them do folk style in a, in a spring, I don't think either one of them would be wrestling in college. You know, it just, it made them have fun. It seemed like other people do, you know, football, wrestling and track. You know, my kids did cross country for a while, football for a while when they were young, but then they go in the winter and do folk style. And after that, their next two seasons were freestyle and then Greco, depending on what day it was. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like you, you get the competition, but it's also laid back. You know, when you talk about coaching your kids, all mm-hmm. I do, all I ever do is clap. I don't say anything. That's <laughs> true. I just sit in a corner and clap. Let's go have fun, you know, and. And at the end of the day, even if the kids are losing, like, you know, Chase lost to the kid from Lowell, you know, going up. And I'm like, hey, great match. Great job. It is what it is. But you get to wrestle the best kids in the country in freestyle and Greco. And and you go from there and you enjoy it. And they get up and they, you know, they shrug their shoulders like, oh, well, I'll be back next time. I'll beat them. 
but it's not like life ending like folk style seems you know what i mean mm-hmm. like folk style just seems like it's such a tragedy when you lose when all you've done is lost a match where freestyle and greco are just like yeah i'll get them next time and it's just a, a chance to have fun with the sport again and if yeah. you you know and that's a thing too like Everybody has, all these coaches have, you know, we're going to these, this team camp, this team camp, this team camp, and we're doing two days a week in folk style. And I'm like, but are you having fun? And are you, are, are your kids looking forward to wrestling when the, when the break's over? You know what I mean? Right. Or, you know, you'll see a lot of kids don't come out because they've been pushed too hard in the summer, but in freestyle and Greco, it's not you pushing them. It's them pushing them. Right. And also, let's face it, I mean, I think you can create more creativity in freestyle and Greco that you can apply to folk style. Sure. Oh. You know, you'll, not many folk style teams want to tie up with us, mm-hmm. you know, and we're not known for throwing people, but we can because, yeah. we, you know what I mean? Because we spend, well, I think we hit probably 30 arm spins this year, not headlocks. We just arm spin, you know, and people are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. I like it too. It's kind of fun. <laughs> well, I you're talking about a guy that loves throws. I see a throw, I'm just like I I get excited. It's uh, correct. It's it's a beautiful thing, especially when a throw is hit right. You know, nothing like sloppy. Just a beautiful guy was pushing. Reminds me of I was just talking to um one of my buddies, uh, Kyle Woodruff, in 2000 when Zamir Pittman was wrestling Clint DeGain. And Clint DeGain charged at him, and Pittman hit with this like beautiful lat drop. I mean, it was his. I mean, Clint's feet were tickling the Joe Lewis Arena. It was so beautiful, uh, but it just gets you excited. When Marcel Debose uh, threw Mitch Zajac in the finals in 2008, like it just you know, it gets people on their feet. I was there for both, and it was <laughs> my nephew wrestled for Clarkston at that time, mm-hmm. and DeGain was the coach. Yeah. And so I remember that. I remember that like it was yesterday. And it, there's something about a throw. Like even if we get thrown, I'll look at the kid and hold up four or five and I'll just clap. You know, I'm like, hey, that was a good throw. You just appreciate it, even if it's against your kid. Right. Right. And, and I think it's the other thing about coaching that's kind of changed. Like when I see an opponent hit something great on one of my kids, I'm like, oh, that's good. That's a good takedown. Like, sure. appreciate, like you said, appreciate like giving them their, their kudos for what they did. And I'd be like, oh, man, how did you let them throw you like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean to let them throw me. <laughs> That's another thing I think about freestyling Greco. You're never out of a match and you're never afraid. You know, you think of how many high school kids are afraid to throw. And when they do have to throw, they pull everybody on their back. Mm-hmm. I think the freestyling Greco just says, hey, I'm still in this. You know, we call it the deadly weapon. It's yeah. your deadly weapon. You're down by five. You got 30 seconds. So let's go. Yeah. And then you you practice that practice. I think one of the things that I think about my career just wrestling, I just I always felt like I, I it's the home run, but it's not really you've been practicing this. So it's in your bag of tricks. And if it if it needs to happen, it needs to happen. Um <laughs> and we we coached a good kid uh, that was a good thrower for us, Cody Oaks, who wrestled both of your guys, uh Tristan Gregory and um oh Shane, Shane Foster. Yeah. Um, which I've, I've told you this before, Tristan Grady is probably my favorite kid that you've coached that, cause he reminded me a lot. 
he's a little bit more athletic, I think, but he was he was fun to watch. He could throw people. He's he always in great position, always smiling too. Had a great energy about him. Um, but Cody Oaks was the thrower, and that's how he ended up, you know, placing state to me in a two time state qualifier, never wrestling before his freshman year because um, he was always in matches. He could throw anybody. That Cody was a good kid too. We had to we had to game plan around him all the time. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just kind of I always joke about this all the time. Like he had to get through these guys. Like he he wrestled one and get beat up pretty good. Then he had to wrestle the other one. Like he just get a break. Him? What am I going to fifteen? <laughs> so we had some great duels though. You and I, we did. We did. We we talk a lot about the twenty fifteen duel and just I, and I tell people that um, all the matches of all duels I was a part of. That one to me was the one that it could have went either way, and we didn't. We were unable to get momentum in that match. You were, we could not sway it from you one way or another. You know, that was the year we bumped Hines up to or 152, no. and then he wrestled 60. Yes, and we put um, Tristan Blanzy, who I told Tristan Blanzy, I said, listen. If you place top four at districts, I'm going to keep you at 140 because he would have had to go against the Shoners. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And I he goes, what if not? And I said, well, I'm going to bump you up to 52. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we can win the duel if you go up. And so he's in the blood rounds for third and fourth or no, to get into third and fourth. Mm-hmm. And he's winning by like seven or eight. And he just, I remember this look, he looks at me. He shakes his head no, and he rolls to his back. (laughs) And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a team captain for a reason. And I'm just, I'm just like, I got chills up my spine. Mm -hmm. His dad's like, you know, going, what just happened? I'm like, you may want to talk to your son. And he came out and that was one of the, one of my proudest moments of a kid who sacrificed himself for, for the team. And it, because I couldn't bump him up from 140 to 152 or wherever he went. Right. Because he would have forfeited his, his uh, scratch. Right. But that was a, that was a special day. So I, you know, those days, those are things that you look at and you know that you help make men in this world. Right. Guys are willing to do anything it takes to get it done, help and be uh, the we before the me of the team. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that duel. I t- I probably talk about it at least four times a year, and I'm always trying to figure out, man, if we could have did this, could do that. But I, I mean, when I look back at the duel, it's the the margin of error is so thin, and we had a great, you know, uh, Noah beat Dom. I want to say it was an overtime. It was a really nice competitive match. I think he and... beat Chase that year. I bumped Chase up, right? Okay. Well, I think it was yeah. Dom. Noah beat Dom Chase. Deep. Oh well, I'm trying to think because it's 2015. No, because Chase would have because uh, Chase graduated what 2020. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so um, it would have been Dom. Yeah, because because Dom was uh, they were both at 25 for the duel because we both no because Noah's at 19. Um, but yeah, it was a. I thought, man, we got it here because we had as you said we we had Blake Jackson, the Shaners. Colby Moore, I I felt very confident. Then John Martin sealed the deal, um, getting a pin over Blake Jackson, who was a great wrestler for us. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those duels. Like replayed from a fan's perspective, you could 
I mean, you had everything. You had close matches. You had some pins. You had great wrestling going on that night. But as the the, per, the, the person that lost, I'm like, man, gosh, I want to wrestle it again. <laughs> I You could wrestle that duel 10 times, and I don't know if you'd get the same outcome. I, I don't think so either. I, I really don't. It was one of those duels that, that hopefully somebody has some tape. They can watch the whole thing. But it was it was, it was was fun. You know, when I look back, it was fun to be part of that, um, part of that whole event. And, and, you know, we've been friends for a long time, so it was good seeing you get to that spot and have an opportunity to go team state. So I, I was more, I was disappointed for my kids, but happy for you. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. So then you figured this is what we were talking about earlier is how, you know, like you're upset, but you're happy for the other guy, but Hey, you know, let's figure things out. And you had fun with the sport and you maintain friendships and, you know, too many young people, like it's like, you gotta beat everybody. It's like, that's nah, not it. It's, you know, enjoy the sport, have fun and, Wins will happen. Yes, yes. My last question for you. How do you think being a teacher in the building has helped or aided in your success at Gaylord? I, I just think getting out the sheer numbers of kids, you know, but and also learning, you know, how to relate, like how to relate with kids. It's, you know, you, you get issues throughout the season. I think being a head coach is, you know, half the battle is – maintaining relationships with the kids on your team and then managing them. So your season doesn't implode, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think just by years of working with children and, you know, trying to get the most out of them and interacting with them, it kind of comes in like this year, I think I, I had two kids that, you know, hated each other and now love each other, you know, and it's just, come on, man. In, in, you kind of work through those things of being a teacher, you kind of, and a coach, you know, and it, there's no difference between teaching and coaching for as far as I'm concerned. It's just uh, how you go about things and what your subject matter is. Mm-hmm. But I think getting numbers out is key. It allows you to interact with kids and pull kids out of the hallway, which you normally wouldn't get. Yeah. We've talked about a lot of my podcast before, but I just, and there have been successful coaches, and we're not knocking those ones that are not in the building. And we're not necessarily have to say you have to be a teacher, but being a teacher, paraprofessional, somebody that's in the exact building where you're coaching at does pay dividends for recruitment and things like that. And I, I talked a little bit about when I was at Western during I student taught in 13, and then I did a long-term sub-position in the fall of 2015. And I felt from a coaching standpoint, if something happened with my athlete, I had immediate response to it versus when I was teaching somewhere else and then having to get all this secondhand information on my drive up to the school. Uh, just being able to handle those situations right then and there versus having to wait your 30 minutes in the car to get there and then it's all on you and you have to run a practice and then figure out the discipline for a sec kid and things like that. Right. I agree with you. I think that's important. Like our assistant principals will call me and say, hey, you might want to get this kid before something bad happens. And I'll be like, I got it, and that way I can handle it before it gets to them. And there are we have great, great leadership. So it's you know, and from our superintendent down to our high school principals and assistants, they uh, they support the wrestling program. So it's a it's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. It's awesome to have all that that, that support of community and admin and things like that. And I, I I feel like when you have those things, good things happen. And if you don't have that support, 
it makes it it just makes it difficult. I don't think I don't want to ever say something's impossible, but it makes it difficult if you don't have that support when it comes to I don't know the basic things of fundraising and being able to get kids out to camps or overnight trips so you can build that team camaraderie. Uh, it, it's it's past the whole like we need new singlets, we need warm ups. I mean, everybody wants to look good, but realistically, it's that getting your team together in moments that are not wrestling related to get to know each other. I agree. I think overnight trips and, you know, and the ability to have those, I think we have six overnight trips, not counting districts and regionals, mm-hmm. you know, even Marquette challenge, we make it a two day. So we get an extra day just to hang out. Oh, that is awesome. That is yeah, awesome. You should get up there. I, you know, the last 10 years, everybody's like, you need to go up to the Marquette challenge and check it out. The last time I went on the bridge that far, we went to Escanaba. I, you know, I tell people this, Escanaba <laughs> was my favorite of all the trips we made. For, that was my favorite one because we were in a we were in a Mitchell bus for six hours and we're just having fun, joking and playing there. And then when the meet's over, we're laughing and joking on the way back for six hours with a bunch of teenagers and their parents. I mean, it's there's nothing like it. There, it was. <laughs> there's nothing like being together like that. I agree with you. And those memories last a lifetime. Like, you know, we had Dom just graduated from Cornell. So I got him, uh, my wife and my daughter and I had one room and him and a bunch of boys had another room. And uh, they were, they went out to, um, you know, they had their own hotel room in Nashville. And, mm-hmm. and so we had John Martin, Trent Lajouet and, <laughs> You know, it was so fun to have all these guys back in the hood and we brought up old stories and so it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, Trent, great guy. Great, great. Trent and Seth, those guys, uh, tough wrestlers, man. Tough wrestlers. And John Martin, we've already talked about that kid's, uh, kid's outstanding. He wrestled for Central also and, and Dom's going to Central uh, for his grad year, if I remember correctly. Well, he was. That was part yeah. of the plan. So that's why I turned down the job in Gilroy. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to Stanford. Oh man! So Back out, both, going both out to California, huh? <laughs> going out to California. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I'd fit out in California, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's it's warm weather. It's warm weather. It's like, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been to California. I got a, I got a buddy that lives out there, so he he likes the Muscle Beach and everything else, and and the water being by the coast. The fishing's great, so. Palo Alto is beautiful. I'm telling you, it is 72 when you wake up, 72 when you go to bed. You might need a light coat, but it's sunny all the time. Everybody's happy. You know, it's <laughs> just a beautiful place. It's and they don't get hardly any rain. It may rain for like six minutes mm-hmm. once every three weeks. Wow, which is kind of the opposite of Florida, where it feels like it rains almost every day. Right. <laughs> Well, Jerry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's great to have you on the podcast. Been wanting to get you on for for a while. I'm glad we finally were able to make it happen. Now that my schedule has settled down, I've moved into a new house last year, and I had all these. I'm going to get all these guys on. Well, as you know, you move to a new house. There's all these new house problems that you put together. So now my problems are yeah. Now my problems are less these days. I just I got to make sure I cut the grass, which I did yesterday. The wife will get mad if I don't cut the grass every other day. So, hey, call um, me on Marquette. We'll hook you up. Okay, we'll do, Jerry. You take care. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me, Isaiah. Yep. Bye bye.
Thank you for listening to the Coach T Podcast by my dad.